Good morning. As most of you know, our community is currently homeless and dispersed. I've told a few people here, you're doing a good work. You're taking in the homeless. <clears throat> it's quite literally true and hopefully temporary. Um, I have a message prepared for this morning that I've been preparing for two months. <laughs> and I don't think I'll be sharing it. Sometimes back home, a brother will share and we realize that the Lord has spoken. And to try to pave over it would be an act of deep disrespect and dishonoring. And I think what our brother Samuel has shared this morning is already the full meal deal. What I mean by that is, if we've come here this morning just to fulfill our religious duty, well, then I think you deserve to just hear another two hours of someone nattering on. If, on the other hand, we've come here listening and attentive and prepared before we came, believing that God speaks to his people, that God always speaks to his people, he's never stopped speaking to his people, that God speaks to his people through many different avenues, and one of them are our brothers and sisters. If we came here this morning believing that, then what we've heard is a cause for deep examination. And so I think what I'm going to do, as I was listening out back, pacing, I, I really felt to put a, an amen on what our brother has shared because I know it's come from his heart and his grief and his sorrow and his desire and love for all of you. And so what I'm going to do now is meant to honor what has been shared and to hopefully add some more weight to it. So if you'll stand with me and we'll pray once again. <sighs> Father, thank you. Thank you, you know and see all things. Thank you, Lord, you have never stopped working from the very beginning to this very moment. Seeking those who will hear your voice, who will accept your invitation, calling out to the lost and broken and the blind and the deaf everywhere. Thank you, Lord, you allow us this place to stand before you in safety and a measure of true peace. We thank you for the brothers and sisters here today that, have, that dwell here and those who have come from afar. And Lord, I just ask you that you'll allow me to speak as your oracle and allow us all to hear your voice. We pray this for your glory, for your name's sake. We pray this, Lord, that so when we stand before you, we're found having been truly faithful in our being before you, O oh God, for you alone are worthy. Pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our brother Samuel was talking about values. And um, seriously now, did, did, you know, ask yourself, did you hear what he was saying? We can get so used to coming and walking in the door and we sit down and we all look nice and we combed our hair and some of us ironed our shirts. But are we listening? Did you come prepared today? Did you come with expectation or did you come to fulfill your religious duty? 
Now, I think if I stood here and asked every one of you, did you come prepared today, which I won't do, it'd be very rude, the answer would be, yes, of course I came prepared. But I want to tell you that I suspect that most of us did not come very prepared. And so I want to give you a compare and contrast of what I believe prepared looks like and what unprepared looks like. So the scriptures tell us that the cares of this world crowd out the word of God. Now, what cares are those? The cares of being rich and powerful and famous, right? Well, they do. They're also the cares of making breakfast, getting dressed, brushing our teeth, getting out of bed because we're up too late. They're all the cares of this life, all of them. Everything in this life is contrary to the eternal kingdom of God. And that's why it is all going to be dispensed with. There's only one thing in the created universe that is going to survive the fervent heat that is going to melt all things. There's only one thing of value. Our brother spoke of values. Where we invest our time, where we invest our thoughts, where we invest our efforts. Were you prepared to come and hear that message this morning? Or did you invest all of your time in the cares of this world? I've heard many people say, I don't hear the voice of God. And I have to ask, did you even make room to hear it? I've heard many people say, oh, they just go on and on and I got to put my time in and come 11 o'clock, I'm looking for it to be over. Did you come prepared to receive a meal with expectation? Did you pray asking that God would allow you in his mercy to hear your, his voice? Did you come having prayed that the Lord would bless the brother who will speak to speak as his oracle? In my opinion, if you didn't, you didn't come prepared. Now let's go to values. It's interesting, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. A portion of scripture we all know and I know has been preached from numerous times ad nauseum in this pulpit. But I am hoping to share from a different angle. My preparation today to use a baseball analogy was to swing for the fences. For those of you who live here, you, you may be aware it's been three years since I've been here. I was here in August of 2019 and I gave a message and who of us knew what the next three years would look like? Well, I didn't. I certainly didn't expect it would be almost three years. It was August of 2019. I didn't think it would be three years before I stood here again. So I've been preparing for this day for a number of months. Now I got thrown a curveball as happens from time to time. You, I'm reading from the Jerusalem Bible. If anybody wants to ask me about that afterwards, you can. Verse 15, you must not love this passing world or anything that is in the world. 
The love of the Father cannot be in any man, and I'll add male man or female man, who loves the world. Because nothing the world has to offer, the sensual body, the lustful eye, the pride in possessions, could ever come from the Father, but only from the world. And the world, with all its cravings, is coming to an end. But anyone who does the will of God remains forever. Let's say someone came to you and you had the opportunity, and some of you don't get this opportunity really, but for lack of a better analogy, I'll use this one, to invest in 10 businesses. An expert came, Warren Buffett, one of the most famous business investors in the history of the world. And he came to Altona and he sat down with the leaders and the financial people. And he said, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to invest in 10 businesses. I don't know about you, but I'd listen. I'd want to hear what he had to say. I'm not sure I'd invest in any of them, but I'd want to hear what he had to say. This is an expert in his field. And so he gave his presentation about all 10 of them. PowerPoint presentations with circles and arrows and description of all of them. And they all looked really, really good, appealing. They sounded great. We got together, or you got together and said, we're going to take a million dollars and put a hundred thousand in each one. And after all of your discussion, Mr. Buffett said, now I, I have one little other piece of information to tell you. In one year from today, nine of those businesses are going to be bankrupt. And only one is going to survive. Someone please tell me, what would the very next question be? Which one? Why? This is interactive at this point. Why would that be the next question? It's okay, you can answer. I know it's a little different, but we've done this before. Why would that be the next question? It's obvious, isn't it? Anybody in their right mind would say, why would we invest a penny in something that's going to be gone in a year? Why would anyone do that? If you went to a little child and put 10 candies in front of them and says, I can give you these 10 candies for 10 cents each, but... The minute you touch nine of them, they're going to disappear into dust and you won't be able to eat them. Even a child could understand, well, which one won't disappear into dust? It sounds elementary. It sounds ridiculously simple. Mm. Is there a trap here? Can anyone tell me what... One thing in the created universe, we know at this point it goes billions, every 10 years it's another trillion or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's endless as far as human understanding. The stars, every 10 years there's another calculation. I mean, apparently of the entire universe, 
the observation from the earth is a thin little sliver. I don't know how they come up with this. It boggles my mind and I cannot comprehend the vastness of the universe. And I think that's sufficient explanation of how vast it is. And then you look on the earth and we've got some pretty good stuff on earth. But only one thing is going to survive. As far as I understand, and I'm not trying to make a theological statement here, I, th I think it's a reasonable conclusion. One thing is going to survive. The fervent heat that is going to come. What is it? Souls. Souls of who? And when I survive, I mean carry on in a good way. That's right. The one thing, brothers and sisters, that is going to survive are God's children, souls that have accepted the salvation of Jesus Christ and committed to a journey. That's the one thing. Our houses won't survive. Guess what? Marriages are not going to survive. Now, hallelujah, we have temporal marriages, and I have one, and I really like it. But it's not going to survive. Family clans are not going to survive. This pew's not going to survive. Our buildings won't survive. Our businesses won't survive. Our golf carts won't survive. Ice cream is not going to survive. Our brother spoke about values. Do you actually believe what the scriptures say? That this present earth is going to be dissolved in a fervent heat. That he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And the old one will not be remembered anymore ever again. Do you believe that? Because if you do, the way you live your life will express that. That is a value. And in my opinion, it is the second most important value there is. And if it's not your second most important value, I would suggest you have a value issue. And if I were bold enough to say, I would read this to you. The love of the Father cannot be in any man who loves the world. Now we know we have to get up. We have to work. We're consigned to a life. God looked at Adam and said, now by the sweat of your brow, you blew it. And in my opinion, he blessed Adam. He didn't curse him. He blessed him because we all know that a man that is laboring hard for his bread is generally an honest man. And I mean laboring hard, a man that has to travail. And it's why in our country, when it was a largely a farming country, it's one of the reasons why it was a much more honest country. And as we found ways to labor less, we become dishonest. Now, that's only one reason, but it's one reason. I have seldom come across a hardworking man, an honest, hardworking man that was in trouble. But I found a lot of lazy men who are in trouble. So Adam, he says... By the sweat of your brow. And guess what? The earth that once was a blessing to you is now going to fight you. And we see that fight going on every day. 
I'm out for a walk in the morning, Brother Richard and I, and I go past the field over there. Is that beans? And uh, may the Lord have mercy on him. He sprayed last week, and every morning you can smell it. Why? Why is he spraying? Well, because he has too much land to pick the weeds by hand, and it would ruin the crop, and that ground is fighting him. And you know, you brothers and sisters understand farming. It's fighting him. We heard stories last night about how the pigs fight back. The creation is fighting back because of that curse. And if a man engages in that, it humbles him, keeps him on the ground. A woman, he said, I'll increase the number of children you're going to have. And any of you, those of you who have watched your wife or go through giving birth, wow, you want to talk about a time where a woman has the opportunity to draw close to God. Values. We know that we have to work. We have families to raise. God blesses us in those things, and the scriptures tell us that they're good. It's good for a man and a woman to marry, to raise up a family, to be a part of a community. We need a house to live in. We need clothes to wear. We need tools to do our jobs. And I think it's safe to say that anybody who has sense anywhere in the world would find the best tools they can access and they would try to live in a comfortable abode and they'd wear clothes that work. And we get all that. It's understandable. The whole history of the world has understood that. We have a life to live and a great deal of that life involves laboring for food, clothing, and shelter. And humanity has pursued those ends from the time of the exit of the garden. So we know this. No one is advocating some kind of irresponsible welfare life. And I think many of us have met people who come to that conclusion. And really, they end up just living off the avails of other people who are working. That's not what we're talking about here. Scriptures say a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. So we understand we have to work. But we have to remember there's a catch-22 there. There's a conundrum because the cares of this world choke out the word of God. And if you don't believe that, you are deceived. What cares of the world? All cares of the world. Why? Because nothing the world has to offer could come from the Father. Now, I know that some of you will be challenged right there. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Try to hear my message. Our brother talked about values, where we invest our time. There are certain things that we must invest our time in, or we'll die and be judged for being negligent. But what about after that investment? I want to appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to think about, our brother spoke about what we leave our children. And if I'm remembering correctly, or I might have added it in as I was listening, what, what would we want our children, what do we want them to be like? Lady Diana, or Princess Diana, sorry, or Mother Teresa. Now, of course, maybe Mother Teresa isn't the finest example, but you get the point, right? There was a life of service and devotion to others, 
and her claim was that she was a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, she claimed that, and I don't have to judge whether it's true or not. But I can observe a life that was a life of devotion to others. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Well, I look at that life and I say, as far as my eye can observe, putting the theology aside, that was a life of service. Now, we can't all live that life of pure devotion. Why? Because some of us are called to be married and raise up children. Somebody has to work to support that. And she knew that. She understood that. The money did not fall from the sky. They lived off donations of Christian people and maybe non-Christian people who were back in other countries raising up families and running businesses and supplying her need. It all works together. But she still had a life of service. And those who supported her served her so she could serve. And I think it's a beautiful picture. Over here we have someone whose life was invested in Triviality, gadgets, trinkets dug out of the ground and polished up to put on your head. Fancy clothes that five years later nobody would be caught dead wearing, maybe one year later. I mean, just insanity. Which one do you want for your children? Well, look, any sensible person would say, if you're a Christian, I want my children to have a life of service. Well, do you really? Do you really? And I want to tell you there's a little test that you can do. And I think it'll be very illuminating to you. Sometime in the next few days, if what I'm saying is provoking you, if what our brother has said has provoked you a little bit, I challenge you, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, Single people, you could do it with another brother or sister. I challenge you. And if you walk out this door and don't do it, it's on your head. I challenge you, sit down with a piece of paper and put a line down the middle. And on one side, put your values. What do you believe God wants you to value? And and what are your values? Where do you really believe? What do you believe is important? And on the next side, start writing down where you spend your time and money. And compare them when you're done. And be honest. Come on. If you want to do it by yourself, go in your room, shut the door, and at least be honest with yourself. And where you spend your time and money, examine how many of those things are devoted necessarily to food, clothing, and shelter, the things you need to live. And amazingly, Paul says, with food and clothing, let us be content. He doesn't even mention shelter. And if I get to see him, I want to ask him, what about a place to live, brother? But anyway, we accept food, clothing, and shelter because in this country, without shelter, you're going to freeze to death six months of the year. So look at that list and ask yourselves honestly, how many of them involve food, clothing, and shelter, the necessities of life? And try to put a timeline to it. Try to put some time there, okay? Eight hours a day, four hours a day, ten hours a day. And then put where you invest time in other things. Now, for you, for you men, you know, preparing for working counts, driving, you know, for you ladies, getting breakfast ready, all that stuff. All that stuff's included. 
not the direct thing itself, but the preparatory as well. You know, let's be fair with ourselves. It takes time to live life. But then look at where you invest your free time. The time that's not devoted to food, clothing, and shelter. And be honest and look at it. Because that time needs to be compared to what you claim your values are. At the, up to this point, are there any questions? Not corrections, correct questions. Any questions? Okay. I want to share with you, I believe there are only two values that we should deeply, deeply care about investing. Only two. And everything else should be a footnote. Should be Someone should come and look at our lives and go, oh, well, I, I guess you're interested in that sort of kind of maybe, but not really. But there should be two things that if someone were to come and examine our life, they would come away, and if they had a basic understanding of Christianity, they would say, you, your life epitomizes Christian values. And Jesus told us what those two values are. And he did it this way. A man came to him and said, Lord, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. For all the law and the prophets hinge on these two. Now that last part, all the law and the prophets, let me update that for us. Everything else in life that's important hinges on these two, is a footnote underneath. It doesn't get a main title. It must be submitted to those two. Everything else must fall under those two. For the sake of the discussion today, I want to focus on the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. The only thing we have to interact with life with is time. God has given us time. Okay? We wake up, we have, we're born, and we have a measure of time, and none of us knows exactly how long that's going to be. That time is a gift, and God is watching what we do with it. Okay? Now, with that time, we create resources. We create tools, we build houses, we do things, we do something with that. So our time and our money are our, are, are our only two, and money represents resources, okay? We've created this thing called money so that we can accumulate resources, trade in resources, and, uh, and, and make resources for other people. So we'll just call that money, time and money. How much time do you spend investing in other people? If we're to love our neighbor as ourself, the first place that starts, of course, is in our homes. The next place is our brothers and sisters. And I want to stop it right there for now because this isn't evangelistic message. How much time do you spend investing in your brothers and sisters? Every one of you. I don't care what your gifting is. I don't care what your education is. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're smart. None of those things matter. And I won't accept any of those excuses. 
How much time do you spend investing in your brothers and sisters? And I'm not talking about doing your daily labor. Every human being in the world labors. Even a beggar has to get up and get dressed and go to the toilet and go out on a corner and put their hand out and ask. Everybody has to work. Nobody can lie in their bed and just have the stuff fall down. I suppose if you're in a coma, you get tubes, but we're not going to count that. Everybody has to work. So you can't count your daily labor. Everybody does that. Everybody. I'm talking about your time. Where do you invest and how much of it do you invest in your brothers and sisters? When you finish doing that calculation, you will know what your values are as far as it relates to your brothers and sisters. The second commandment, as far as it relates to those 10 companies I talked about. Because the Bible told us which one's going to survive the fervent heat. We've got inside information. The world doesn't know. We can do what they called insider trading. And we're not going to get arrested for it. It's not illegal. We know. All of you here today who are filled with the Spirit of God, our children of the living God, are going to survive that fervent heat. The rest, and, and when I say survive, I mean you're going to enter the kingdom of God and dwell eternally with him. Where there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I'm not going to remember this life, and I hope I'm going to be there with all of you. But whether you get there or not has a lot to do with where you're investing. Whether you get there or not has a lot to do with what you do to prevent the crowding out of the word of God. And that has to do with your values. Because we invest where we value. If a man values his wife, he invests in her. If a woman values her husband, she invests in him. We know this. We can look at a couple and say, well, we might use different terms. They're not getting along too well. They don't spend a lot of time together. They don't value each other. That's why they don't spend time together. And you see a husband and a wife who are together and smiling and even they have a discussion and it gets a little heated and they work it through and then they're smiling again. We say, well, they value each other. This is not complicated. Brothers and sisters who value each other, they spend time together. They invest in each other. I know that many of us here today have values that are screwed up. They're mixed up. And we're investing in the wrong place. Back in detention, we like to say we, we try to invest in people and more than things. Now, we need things. But the world invests in things. And when it invests in people, it's so that the people making the investment can get something for themselves. So even when they invest in people... There's a selfish motive. Walmart invests in people. It hires people, gives them a salary. It spends time training them so they can do a job. But it's not for the benefit of those people. It's for the benefit of the shareholders of the company so they can make money. The world invests in things that are perishing. The children of God invest in people that are eternal because of the life of Jesus Christ in them. 
I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, today. Is that message recorded that you shared, Samuel? Is that recorded, the message he shared? Yes. Sometimes we will, back home, well, when we had home, back home we would listen to a message again. Because it comes by so fast, you can miss it. I want to challenge you as God is my witness. Take some time to examine your values and then be honest. Look, I know what it's like to have a desire for something that's not good, but I want it. Well, the Lord can meet you there. He's in the business of changing desires. He's in the business of changing values. That's part of why he sent the Holy Spirit is because our values are messed up and he can come and fix that. And it looks like this. Lord, I desire and value something that is contrary to your will and there's nothing I can do to change it. Will you please come and change my heart? Please. And if I'm doing anything to stand in your way to prevent you from doing that, will you do whatever it takes to take it out of the way so that you can actually accomplish your will in my life? Amen. And mean it. If we want to call ourselves Christians, the world expects us to look like Christians. A few years ago, uh, we had a small issue in, um, in our community just with uh, our legal structure. And uh, I had the opportunity to t- speak with people at the tax office who were thinking that maybe we owed them some money. And they started asking me some questions. And it was a very interesting exercise because what became apparent was that if our organization was Christian, they would accept an exemption. But they expected us to actually act like Christians. The Australian Tax Office had provision for organizations that were Christian. And this was one of the requirements. We had to believe in an eternal being. Now, they had to be a little sketchy there because Australia is not all Christian. So you just had to believe in eternal being, a, a power that was greater than man. You had to meet together at some regular interval. Check. You had to accept prayer requests from people outside your organization. I was a little taken back by that one. Hello, pardon? Yes, are you willing to accept prayer requests? Implication meaning that, of course, if you're Christian, you should be praying. (laughs) Are you willing to accept prayer requests from people outside of your organization, from the local community, from others? Or are you only praying for yourselves? Was what wasn't said, right? Well, we could say, yes, we do, because we did. But you see, what they expected was, if you're a Christian... We expect that you will pray for others. This is the Australian tax office. What do they know about prayer? Well, somewhere in there, someone understood that if you're a Christian, we're going to make a provision for you. And one of them is you care about other people and you demonstrate it. You demonstrate it with your time, with your effort. There were a few others, but that was the one I want to point out. It was an example. They simply expected us to be Christian. 
Now, they should have had some other criteria, but fair enough. We were able to check those boxes and they gave us our little stamp and off we went merrily. But that's all the people outside here expect us as well, brothers and sisters. They just expect us to be Christian. And our culture out there still has a good enough understanding of what that means that they can judge. And if you could help them along a little bit, they would say, well, do they actually love God or do they love the world? Do they actually love each other or do they love themselves? You can't find anywhere in history where a group of people has honored and valued those two values above all else that has not had an impact on the world around it. But you can find many, many, many who thought they did and didn't and the world went, we're not interested. And I want to tell you, I don't believe the world is not interested because there's a problem with the world. The problem with the world has been there from the fall. It's no different today than it ever was. It's no different today than it was when John Wesley was walking around. It's no different today when our Anabaptist forefathers were walking around. It's no different today than when Jesus was walking around. The world is the world. It hasn't changed. The clothes it wears and the tools, the, the toys it plays with may have, but the essence of it is still the same. What changes? The people of God. That's what changes. And if the world isn't taking notice, the issue isn't the world. The issue is there's nothing to take notice of. And that's about values. 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 Am I missing anything? So I would exhort us today. Look, we, we, need to, we need to work. It's irresponsible. We need to be faithful with the resources God has given us. And it's irresponsible not to be. I don't believe the Lord has asked us. I, I believe that true modesty is we live according to the measure of um, standard of living where we find ourselves. I don't think we should be living in mud shacks, driving dilapidated vehicles. I don't believe that. It's not modest, by the way. Modest means you don't stick out unnecessarily. We should live according to the standard of living of most, most of the people where we find ourselves. And in, and in this neighborhood, that's going to have a fair bit of wealth attached to it. Same with Grand River, same with over in Elmendorf. America's a wealthy place. And I, I don't subscribe to some, some idea that we should all be walking around in abject poverty. Now, if God calls a person or a group of people to that, fair enough. But that's a specific calling. And we venerate people like Mother Teresa and Francis of Assisi and others like them because they were called to that. And they had the grace to live it. But I don't think most of us are called to that. Just like when we go down to Paraguay, we're going to live largely at the standard of living at most of the places, most of, of where we live. We'll, we'll look at it and we'll say, okay, this is the top, this is the bottom. And we'll find somewhere in there that we don't stick out because of our fancy houses and our fancy cars. And it's going to look different than here. But if we moved here, we would do the same thing. So I'm not advocating some sort of poverty. I also don't believe we should live like the richest 0.5% of the population either. We find our place where we are. So don't misunderstand me. I don't want someone to come up and say, Brother Trevor, are you saying we should all be poor? No, I'm not. But what are you doing with your extra? What are you doing with your excess? What are you doing with the overflow? And maybe a little bit more than that. Values, brothers and sisters. 
Love not the world nor the things of the world, for if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. Because the world and all that's in it is passing away. Does God say that to us because he's a mean, nasty critter who wants us to be miserable? No, he's saying it to us because he's telling us where to invest so that we spend eternity with him. And that is good news. Amen.